Lord, we thank and we praise you that we can celebrate you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the wonder of your life, your victory, the hope we have in you. We give you thanks and we give you praise. So may who we are and how we live and what we say and what we do truly bring you the glory that is yours alone. We love you, we bless you, we honor you, Lord. And that was one congregation in two spaces. Can we pray the, Lord, the prayer that Jesus taught his brothers and sisters and friends? If you don't know the words, the words will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for praising and praying. Joe in the, in the, in the control room, behind you over here, auditorium over here to your left, my congregation is right, there's a control room that controls all the cameras. So Joe, I'm going to ask for your help. I'd like to do a thing in both rooms at the same time, and I'd like to do about who we are. So I'd like to try a little experiment. Can we have a little fun together? Is that okay? Try something? Let's pretend we're not in church. <laughs> I'd, like us, I'd like us to see visually how long we've been part of this church. So if you've been a part of Third Church for 20 years or longer, would you please stand? And Joe, can you give wide, shot, wide angle shots so we can see in both rooms? More than 20 years, could you stand? Okay. If you've been a part of Third Church for the last 10 to 20 years, would you please stand? Keep looking around. If you've been part of the third church for five years or more, would you stand up? If you've come in the last year, could you please stand? And if today's your first day, would you stand? <laughs> now in both rooms, can we greet each other, high fives and hugs, and welcome each other in the name of Christ? <laughs> Whenever you're ready, have a seat. The reason I did this, today, obviously, you can see with my shirt, big church, small. One of the, the challenges, I think, is, is it's hard to know who we are because we have a unique congregation. So let me just give you just some numbers. Those who call, them, call Third Church their home, listen to this, drive from a 75-mile radius. So we have people from Osceola who drive up, people from Eddyville, people from Newton, people from Des Moines. Last year, we had people from Ames. So people are coming from all over. It's at least 20 different cities. It's four different colleges. It's more than 15 high schools. So the reality is we come from all over the place, and one of the great challenges is, is how do we build relationships? How can we know each other? How can we learn names? So my invitation is this next two years, big church, small, we're going to try to create ways for us to keep building relationships, learning names. Typically, we sit in kind of the same place. Can I invite you? Learn the names of the people who sit around you every week. So I just saw Christy, and Christy walked in with crutches. And Christy's been in my neighborhood for how many years, Christy? Long time. And, she had, and I didn't know what happened. I said, Christy, tell me what happened. She heard herself playing pickleball. So all of a sudden, on Tuesdays when I pray for her, I remember Christy tore Achilles. I need to pray for her. Could you do that in your neighborhood? The people who sit by you, could you just learn some names and find some things and begin to pray for each other and welcome each other and just say names. If you see each other at the stores, at the market, at the gas stations, just start to make these little heart connections that draw us together. Okay, a little bit of introduction now. Can you look at your bulletins on inside cover, something called Current Defining Reality, the Church in Exile? Before we read it, let me give you a little bit of context. For the past three years, 
We've organized our ministry and life around a strategic plan entitled Thy Kingdom Come. So if you remember, if you've been here for a while, three years ago it was Thy Kingdom Come Within, the next year Thy Kingdom Come in Community, and then last year Thy Kingdom Come in Sending. We begin this today with a brand new ministry plan year, a new strategic plan, and very, very simply put, can I have Dave, um, the slide three? Real simply put, and there's a longer title, but way on the outside of the circle, which is also your bulletin insert, is Flourishing in Exile. And over the next two years, Lord willing, we'd like to just start to, to name where we live and then talk about how can we be people who flourish for Christ and for his kingdom. So we look in your bulletin now a second, and let me read it. In the, it says, Defining Reality. Let me just give you a, a brief summary and then some descriptors. There is an emerging conviction that the situation of the contemporary American church may be similar to that of ancient Israel or the early church in the first and second centuries in their respective and distinctive focus on exile. Exile implies more than geographical dislocation. It can be a cultural and spiritual condition as well. Look at the next sentence. Exile is the experience of knowing that we are aliens with the dominant values of culture run counter to our own. Exile is, in its very essence, living away from home. This is at the heart of the Christian faith, as we live away from our ultimate and eternal home. Furthermore, exile is a result of understanding ourselves as strangers in the world. This distinction is defined by our relationship with the Lord and is rooted in God's call for us to live our lives abiding in Him often in ways that come in conflict with the dominant culture. The sense of exile is experienced by anyone. Now look at the next sentence. This is really important because I think it, it applies to multiple generations to many of us. The sense of exile is experienced by anyone who feels alienated, cast adrift, or marginalized by their inability or unwillingness to conform to the tyranny, the values, the mores, the decisions of the majority. Exile is the perilous territory of not belonging. So over these next two years, our corporate teaching goal is to offer a biblically informed reflection on who we are as followers of Jesus and how understanding exile can open up to us the life-giving gifts of God's word and spirit, which are essential for renewal and transformation. The way forward is to look around and understand our context, to look back and gather resources from our sacred history, and then to look forward with clear vision of how we ought and can function as people of, of God in contemporary exile. The adventure continues. Will you join us? So if you look down the bottom, this week I'm going to do a quick overview from Jeremiah 29 and then Psalm 1. In the coming weeks, about, oh, several, we're going to go through 1 Peter, and I'll explain why beginning next week. We'll look at Leviticus chapter 19 on September 29 to talk about holiness, which is going to surprise many. And then at the end of this, this first segment, we're going to use a Sermon on the Mount in November to try to tie it all together. But let me give you just an observation, if you could look up here for a second. So let me explain the, the bigger context. Christendom, Christendom is the word that scholars use to describe the Western world since the third century. Christendom was a whole series of values, institutions, mores, understandings that generally Europe United States and Canada generally embraced until about 40 years ago. And there becomes a rapid change and movement away from that. So for about 17 centuries in Christendom, the church, the church, 
Roman Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox had a center place, a voice. Even if people didn't affirm it, it was given a voice. It had values that people could at least head knowledge acknowledge. What's happened in the last two decades is the church is being marginalized. Why do they mean? Well, follow me. We're being pushed to the margins of culture. And what used to be normative to many of us is no longer part of the equation. So, for example, last, for, for three weeks, Lane, Lane and I went to Portland, Oregon. We went to Bend, Oregon, Santa Barbara, California, and then to Los Angeles, California. And just really fast, how different the world is. In Portland, I talked to people in the Uber chain who predict that by 2022 in Portland, Oregon, there will be majority driverless cars. While being driven to the airport, talk to someone who is involved in filmmaking in Hollywood and says, do you watch the themes that are being developed from Hollywood? I said, well, not really. He said, we're pushing transhumanism, which is a correlation, a relationship of people and robots. So you know we're talking about going to Mars? You know how people will go to Mars? They will have to change genomes in people. They're going to have to replace, repair, restore, work on genomes because you cannot go that far into space and return and live. Genomes are being spliced right now. Transhumanism is happening now. Robotic cars are happening now. If you go to Phoenix, Arizona, there is a truck line that runs its trucks from Phoenix to Flagstaff every day and never has a driver. We're short 60,000 truck drivers in America, so they're developing driverless trucks. And they predicted in cities like Los Angeles, where there are seven freeways, seven lanes wide on each side, that these driverless vehicles will actually help traffic and make you move more efficiently and with fewer accidents. That's just the outer world. What about relationships? What about marriage? What about health? What about, what about, what about? And it used to be the church was in the center of the conversation. Brothers and sisters, we are now on the margins. We don't have a voice. And may I say to you, it's a good thing. Because we're going to learn to be a people who flourish in a rapidly changing world. So let me just give you a couple slides, and then I'm going to go to Jeremiah 29. Dave, may I have slides four, five, and six? So Christianity, its teachings, values, forms, and institutions have moved from the center to the margins of American society. This is a form of exile. Next slide, please. Now, this is going to take me a year to unpack. This is a year's worth of research in one slide. So let me read it very carefully. Our culture today has been described as a winding journey with three parts. This, this is in the last 25 years. A winding journey from the death of God and the traditional no, notions of intimate relationships to transition to a highly individualistic population focused on personal control and autonomy, because we all have our own devices. And now, now, if you're watching, listening, reading, we're moving to an embryonic but fast-growing kind of human interactions between technology, nature, and people. It's called transhumanism. All this is happening, and this is the transition. So we now, we're in this, the, the Christians, I'll give myself, we, Christians, we used to have conversations about, so what, we believe God's alive. And the culture says, no, God is dead. 
We believe relationships, good, healthy relationships look like this and this and this. And now the culture is saying, no, nah, that's not true. And it used to be that we were in community. We used to sit on porches and talk to each other and we'd have conversations and we'd go for walks and play. Kids would just play outside by themselves and now we all have our own phones and our own spaces and our own stuff and now we drive into our homes and close the garage door and don't talk to anybody around us. We don't know our neighbors. And now we're moving into a world where there's gonna be these forms of life that we don't even understand. Now, what I said to you in 1980, 1980, think about this. Now, I came in 92, 19, 2000. We brought Dr. Dr. Richard Swenson here. Dr. Richard Swenson is an outstanding futurist and MD. And Dr. Swenson said in 1980 in a book entitled Margin, he's got four books since, lots of research, that we have bought as a culture into the notion that progress is good. We just embrace that progress is good without thinking through the implications of all this process. So, for example, our phones. The progress says you don't need landlines. You can communicate with everybody, everywhere. You can learn all kinds of things. You can communicate, you can express whatever you want. Now watch, what's the implication? This is the first, listen now, we are the first generation in human history who has not needed teachers. You have your phone. We all think phones are fantastic, and they are but we've not thought through. So look at our educational system. Look how it's changing. We haven't thought through the implications of our technologies. Or how about relationships? It used to be when I was a boy, I'm talking sexuality, if I wanted to look at naked girls, I had to sneak into a grocery store and there would be, there'd be uh, magazines covered and I had a Try to figure out, how, well, my dad and mom find out, how can I look at these pictures of nude girls? Now with your phone, you can watch anything with anyone, anywhere. And we think, boy, these phones, phones are really good, and we've not thought through the implications. I flew through George Bush's uh, uh, international airport. First time in my life, I did not talk to a single person. Didn't have to talk to any people. Everything was done with my phone. Reservations. Plane, entry, on the plane, off the plane, got my bags, didn't talk to a single person. No people. No relationships with people. So we have this wonderful technology and we've not thought it through. So all of a sudden, progress now has a life of its own because it's tied to technology and consumption. And now it has a life of its own and it's moving faster and faster and faster and we don't know what to do with it. I'm telling you all these things to say we used to have a voice in these conversations. We no longer have a voice. Christendom is over. So, how do we respond? Can we look at the scriptures? Can I invite you to Jeremiah chapter 29? Page numbers on the screen. I would like to look at verses four through seven. If you, we're going to do the look at this over and over, so today it's just a real fast pass through it. But if you read all of chapter 29, 13 times the word exile is used. I'd like to read verses just four through seven. A little bit of context. The people of Israel have basically blown off Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. The Lord has said, if you want nothing to do with me, I'll have nothing to do with you. The people of Israel are now in captivity. 
If I can remind you, the first pass of hostages, about 4,000, went nose to nose, 700 miles across the desert in over 100 degree heat. So just think about that. And it was, and it was in a patriarch, patriarchal culture, it was the women who were tied nose to nose. So ladies, I want you to think about walking 700 miles. How do you go to the bathroom if you're hooked up with another lady? How do you sleep? How do you walk through sand for 700 miles? All kinds of people died. They finally get to Babylon. And now they're captives. They're exiles. And some prophets say, hey, 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 it's all going to be good. God loves you. Everything's going to be great. And God says to Jeremiah, no, you tell them. They're going to be at captivity for 70 years. But I want you to give them a word of hope. That's chapter 29, 4 through 7. So this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. I carried those into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What does he say? Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, where? In exile. Do not decrease. Also, look at this next verse. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For if it prospers, which means it is whole in words, deeds, and relationships, you too will prosper. Now, I want you to think about this now. Look up at me. So here they have this wonderful life. They think... And their wonderful life was focused around the presence of God located in the temple. And now the temple's destroyed, so they lost God's presence. And they've lost their place. And now they walk 700 miles through the desert, and they're in captivity in a hot, terrible place. And this crazy prophet says, hey, I got good news for you. You've been sent into exile." Because I want you to bless a culture that knows nothing about the ways of God. Brothers and sisters, that's what's happening to us. So listen to what, what you see. And I'll go through this more in coming weeks really fast. Just stay with me. Think hard for about one minute. I'll read really fast. Exiles, because from this passage, exiles can make prayer an emphasis of practice and delight. Exiles can be full of faith and can live holy lives. Exiles can be fruitful. Exiles can choose to live for the sake of others. But exiles need to be wary. They need to be observant. They need to be wise. Exiles are often given opportunity to be risk takers. Exiles choose to believe that God is work even in exile. Exiles must learn to believe and that their home is in God. So let me just try to carefully phrase this to you in a few sentences. The world that we have known in this country for 17 centuries is over. Part of my task these next weeks is to define where we are presently living. And it's not to say bad, 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 bad. No, 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 not at all. We are just in a different place. Christians, you listen, tell me if I'm taking the truth. Christians do not have a 
credible voice in most of our culture. Is that something? Am I speaking the truth? Someone who works at the largest employee in Des Moines talked about his workplace. And they celebrate this day and 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 this day, but they cannot say a single word about the things of Jesus anywhere, any space, any time in his workplace. And he said, we have been, the Christian faith is completely moved to the margins to the largest employer in Des Moines. Is that bad? No. Because we're going to learn to flourish in a time and a space where we are deeply connected to the true and living God. But we're going to have to define reality. We aren't living in Disneyland anymore. You, you have. So we, in our, in a, we, we, we visited the West Coast. In Los Angeles, we drove from our children's home in Santa Barbara to Los Angeles. We drove down through Los Angeles. In one particular section of inner city Los Angeles, listen to this number, there are 60,000 homeless 60,000. So we drove through all of that, and I'm driving around thinking, what country am I in? And what do all these people need? And how do we help them? And how do we serve? And how does the gospel come? Go to Portland. They're homeless everywhere. Every single intersection of every major street and every freeway in Portland, Santa Barbara, and Los Angeles, there were people standing at every single intersection asking for money for help. What, what do we do? How do we help? What, I went to Walmart and all the stock shelves are being stocked by robots. And I said to the, the, the person in charge, I went to the manager, I said, do you have any people who work here? He said, a couple. I said, what about all the people who used to work here? He said, they're on their own. How, how, how do we live? How do we live as Christ followers in a world that is just becoming so different? And what I'd like to suggest to over the next year, looking at, at Jeremiah, 1 Peter, look at Leviticus, we want to become people who flourish. So real quickly, and then I'm going to invite Pastor Katie and Pastor Jenny. So real quickly, I'd like to now talk about the what. So what, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to flourish. Where are we supposed to flourish? In exile. But now I'd like to turn to my sisters and talk about, well, how do we want to offer opportunities to grow, to become people who flourish in exile? Pastor Katie? So as we've been looking at uh, flourishing in exile as staff, we've just been um, praying about what this looks like and how are we going to flourish in this post-Christianum. And um, the first thing that, that we talk about is just alignment with God's heart. Because as we read that Jeremiah passage, just that reminder, God's heart for us, his people, is not that we would decrease, but that we would increase and that we would be a people who seeks peace and prosperity. Which means if we are, if we are doing that, if when we are growing in that, there is not room for fear or anxiety as a people in exile. And so we stepped back and we looked, you know, disciples are people, each one of you. What we want to do together is we want to answer some of the world's hardest questions grow in that individually. For those of you who are here at Impact One, um, Marty talked about the me mountain. Understand your me mountain. 
understand the answers for yourself to life's greatest questions so that we can climb the we mountain together. So these are the three things that we've, we've noticed that the world is constantly uh, grappling with. These three questions. Who am I? Do I belong? And if so, where? Does my life really matter? A post-Christian world loves to give the answer to each of those questions. Give an answer that increases anxiety and fears and decreases all hope in this world. In looking at who am I, some of you uh, have, have read Henry Nouwen. He says that we Christians and non-Christians alike, we are tempted to answer the question, who am I, from these three things. I am what I do, as in all the different activities, all the different hats that I wear. I let my activity define me. I am what I have, so I have my possessions, what I possess, or my lack thereof, let possessions define me. Or I am who other people say that I am. We let other people's thoughts and opinions of ourselves define us. In looking at the question, do I belong, and if so, where, just a reminder, friends, the enemy loves to isolate and make you think that you're all alone, that you should be a lonely person, and that nobody else cares, and nobody else is going through this or willing to go through this with you. If you've ever sensed those things, that you're alone or that no one cares, that is darkness trying to find its way into the doorway of your life. And then the final question, does my life really matter? Another tactic, as we know who we are and we know that we belong, he tries to think that the things that you do don't have an impact, no matter, no matter big or small. Another tactic. And we as a church, as we, as we look at continuing together to flourish in exile, we have the most hope and joy-filled answers to each of these questions that we get to allow to become who we are, part of, part of who we are individually as well as collectively. We feel like these are so important, that's why we have incorporated these into our church's core, core values. So who am I? That is a question of identity. Identity, understanding, and get that slide up there, knowing who and whose we are. You are a son, you are a daughter of the Most High God. Fundamentally, that is who you are. You are fully accepted. You are invited into the more, into the adventure of continuing to transform and become more and more like our Savior Jesus Christ through the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is such a delight to be able to witness people who step into this at deeper and deeper levels. Uh, we've, we've noticed as people understand who they are with their identity in Christ, there is a rootedness and a stability that comes as we discover these things individually and together. The next core value is one of belonging. Where do I belong? You are home. 
You belong in God's family. Do not let the enemy tell you any different. Jesus welcomes all of us right where we are and says, okay, come. Let's take this next step together. Core value, uh, another core belonging, created for deep connections with others. Uh, If you have been with us for a while as we went through kingdom culture, it was amazing as we step into those places of which we are created for, those relationships, uh, there's just a peace we've noticed that comes when, when we are deeply connected to one another. And the next core value, does my life really matter? That one is a core value of purpose. Yes. You are sent with significance for kingdom impact. Kevin talked about it. You carry the presence of the Most High God. Sometimes you may feel it and sometimes you may not. But as you engage with and as you co-labor with him, you release that into the culture, into the atmospheres where you are sent. Sometimes we, I don't think we ever get to see the impact that we have as we release that kingdom impact. And sometimes we do. Aren't those joy markers? Don't you love hearing the stories, watching the joy just come from those people who, who had just gotten that God wink because they knew that they had released the kingdom exactly where God invited them to. The starting point for these core values, we believe, actually begins with intimacy. And that's why core value number one is intimacy. You are created for a deep connection with God. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we experience and encounter that, as we experience and encounter him, that's where these other things flow from. At this point, I'd like to head over to the auditorium, and Ginny is going to take it from here and share how these core values have impacted our adult discipleship lineup. Yeah, so Kevin and Katie have both alluded to this, but as we really as staff have taken a deeper dive into each of these core values, we're really recognizing that what our job is as staff is to provide you with opportunities all of us with opportunities to grow deeper as disciples of Jesus. So I want to take one quick step back. We use this term discipleship, and I think a lot of us have a good handle of what that really means, but it's kind of a big word. And really all that we're going after when we talk about being a disciple is being people who follow Jesus. Being people who are willing to say, I don't have it all figured out, but I just want to take one step closer to Jesus in this season. And there are lots of different ways that that comes out, but we really believe that in this season, the Lord is calling us to these four key ways to draw one step closer to him as individuals, and that will bring us corporately one step closer to him as well. So we have um, plugged classes, small groups, ministry opportunities directly into each of these four categories. And if you have the adult discipleship booklet with you or have one 
in your possession somewhere. If you turn to page four, you'll see that these are outlined kind of in these four core value buckets. We have opportunities within each of these specifically for this semester. And I'll let you in on a little secret. It's not just for this semester. We actually have been spending a lot of time praying and discerning and and studying this together. And we have the next two years mapped out so that as we get closer to Jesus within these four core values, there are always opportunities, not just for you in the, in the pews and in the chairs right now, but for all of us, that includes staff, to just continue on this journey one step closer to Jesus. So um, again, you'll find these specific things that we are plugging into these four core values for this semester. It's actually been really helpful. It's been a good gift for us as staff to be able to really focus and say, these are the things that we believe the Lord is calling us to, and we're going to go hard after those things. So I want to take just a minute to highlight one opportunity within each of these values that's something that we could invite all of you into, because these are opportunities that that have room for big numbers of people. So consider this your personal invitation into any one, if not all four of these opportunities. So as we take a look at intimacy, one opportunity that I'd love to highlight is four keys to hearing God's voice. This is not a new class to our culture, but the way that we're offering it this semester is new to us. Um, The 11 o'clock hour in the auditorium, we're opening up for large discipleship opportunities. And so in this next season, Keith is going to be teaching hearing the voice of God to however many people we can fit into that room, which is a lot of people. So we invite you to, to grow one step closer to Jesus and to following him through intimacy by coming to learn how to hear his voice on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. Identity. The freedom curriculum has been a new and really good gift for us. As we have begun to step into this curriculum, we are just seeing a lot of chains and old things fall away, and we're seeing an incredible amount of freedom come. And I think that's one really key way that we can flourish in exile in these years to come is to hear so clearly from God so that He can remind us of who we are, remind us of where we belong. And tell us what purpose he has for us in any given season. Looking at belonging, we've been doing small groups as they exist now for five years in our culture, which is incredible to think about. And we're embarking on something a little bit new and different, which again, the purpose is to get a lot of you engaged in the same place and at the same time. So on Wednesday nights, we have a new community group opportunity where the hope is to have eight to 10 small groups meeting in the fellowship hall. You can come for a potluck meal before ministry starts so that in between windows of rushing from work or activities to church can just, we can take the guesswork out of that for you a little bit and join in fellowship together and then learn together what does it really mean to have authentic Christian relationships with people. And again, it's those, that rootedness, that steadiness in those relationships that help us to flourish in exile. So that's another opportunity where we could have 80 to 100 people in the fellowship hall on Wednesday nights. We'd love to have you there. We have specific groups for men, for women, for married couples, and for young adults within that opportunity. So there's a place for everyone, literally, around these tables. 
And then purpose. The opportunity that I would love to highlight is simply serving. In a big church, one of the common misconceptions is that there's always somebody to do all of the things, or there's always a waiting list of people to get in to volunteer for a ministry. And I can tell you from personal experience as a member of this staff for the last six and a half years that that has never been true in the six and a half years that I have been here. And so if purpose is a way that the Lord is speaking to you this morning and he is um, inviting you into a way to know that you have kingdom significance, consider an opportunity to serve with us, whether it's within these walls or outside of them. Know that you are sent with kingdom significance everywhere you go. I'm going to take it back to Kevin, and he's going to give us some biblical examples of what it looks like to flourish in exile. So can I invite you to get your insert in both rooms? If you pull that out, because I want to take you through diagram. Dave, can I think it's slide number two or three? Let me share. So this is the big picture. This is what we're trying to do together for, for the next two years. So notice away on the outside, all around the outside of it, there's a longer descriptive sentence, but we're just calling it flourishing in exile. But let me start at the very center. At the very center is what's called the ends policy. That is what drives our church. So I'm evaluated 16 times a year by our executive board. The staff and I are working to hit six very specific targets tied to the ENDS policy. Here's the ENDS policy. People who come in contact with us will experience three things. They will experience from us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, they will experience people who are growing in intimacy with the triune God. And the third thing is they will experience the people who are growing in generosity. So what we have with the, back to the diagram, please. So we have right in the center, we have ends policy. And then around it, notice the words word and spirit. I say this very carefully. Many churches are word churches. Many churches are spirit churches. I believe our challenge is to be a word and spirit church. We've been doing this for 2002. You know my phrase. All word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit, no word, we burn up. Word and spirit, we grow up. The plane flies. So we're trying to bring those in there. So around our very ends policy, why we're here, is the word and spirit, and then the four values that Katie and um, Jenny just brought to you. Identity, belonging, purpose, and intimacy. I hope you hear it. We, have, we, are, we are providing already a template for the next two years around those four values. And anyone and everyone is invited. But what's the context? It's flourishing in exile. So now I'd like to show you what a flourishing person looks like. Could you turn the Bibles to, to uh, Psalm 1, page 532? Real quickly, let me take you through... The Psalms, and this is, I'm going, to read, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, tell you context, and then apply it. Psalm 1, I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3, with emphasis on verse 3. So please hear the words of the Lord. Blessed is the person who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on God's law day and night? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Let me explain that to you. So this is not a trick question. 
When were the Psalms edited and compiled? The answer is when the people were in exile in Babylon. So people in exile took those 150 Psalms and they put them into what's called the five books of Psalms. Psalm 1 talks about a person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Now think about this. Where are streams of water in the desert? Second question, where are trees in the desert? There are no streams, and there are no trees. What's he talking about? Now watch. Iraq, Babylon became one of the wonders of the world because they developed irrigation canals to the desert. And they became one of the wonders of the world because they had trees and beautiful oases because they had living water running through. What's the psalm say? Blessed is the woman or man who is connected to the living God. They become like a tree that nourishes, that flourishes in the desert. I'll give you three words. I'm going to teach you Hebrew this morning. Haga, Torah, Yara. The word Haga is the word for meditate. The person who flourishes is a person who takes the words of God and the word picture is like a lion who has just killed his prey. You ever watch those? Lane hates it when I watch him. I love him. <laughs> the lion licks and starts to salivate and starts to murmur as it considers what it's going to consume. The person who flourishes murmurs, meditates on Torah, the words of God. How does a person flourish? Because the person who meditates, Haga, on Torah, is hit with yara, which is a javelin that pierces the very heart. The person who flourishes in exile does it in a desert, in captivity. And the text says what they do prospers. That's what we want to become. What do you think? We're going to define reality we're going to talk about the goodness of opportunities to flourish. And let me just do one other thing real quick. As we do this, I, I'm going to, the staff, staff and I, we've been messing around with this since last September. And uh, Can I tell a concern you think that MLC had with me? Okay. One of the concerns is a group of seven leaders uh, who, who, with whom I, and, and executive board, so about 15 of us have been working on this. And one of the concerns of the staff is that it would come across from the front real negative and kind of like, oh, that culture is really crappy and everything is bad. And, you know, let's go back to the good old days. We ain't doing that. We want to be a people who are marked by the fruit of the Spirit. When we go through 1 Peter, what you're going to be surprised at is so much of Peter written to an exilic people is choosing to be humble. 
to be willing to subordinate myself and my desires for a greater common good. If we as Christians are now on the margins of culture, you know how we get in the game? How we flourish? We love people. We bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And people who want nothing to do with Christianity are going to be loved and honored and cherished and heard and paid attention to. And all of a sudden, slowly, hearts start opening. And we who are on the margins are now going to become opportunity, give opportunities to love and care and change the culture. Tell you one parable from this, from Matthew. Jesus said, "The parable of the kingdom of heaven is like this: a farmer takes a seed and scatters it and leaves it, and for ways he does not know, and through means he did not understand, a harvest grows." You know, when the Church of Jesus Christ has always been her best when we have been marginalized and exiled and on the outside. How did the church change the world? By loving and serving. This is why we are inviting you to get into ways, means, opportunities to grow into Christ. We're going to have a blast. The kingdom of God is never in trouble. The kingdom of God is never in trouble. Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done in us, in Southeast Iowa, like it's done in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we want to say thank you and we bless you that you're up to some wonderful stuff. So help us to embrace where we are and who we are. And in that place, And from that space, may we look and act and be more like Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.